we need to talk strikes fear into the hearts of most. But we're breaking down that scary declaration on the Talking Couple podcast. I'm Deshaun. And I'm Laurie. We're married. Both from the South, but made the cross-country move to L.A. And are busy pursuing our careers. Even with the demands of life, we aim to put our marriage first. Every other week, we share personal experiences from our own relationship to help other couples spot red flags, get fresh insight, and ultimately strengthen their partnerships. We get real, raw, and sometimes a little uncomfortable to give you the tools to change your life. Hello, world, and welcome to the Talking Couple podcast, episode number 103. Whether you're in a relationship or just looking for one, this is the show for you. We're not afraid to tackle tough topics and share personal stories that will hopefully inspire individual growth and a relationship revolution. On today's episode, we're talking about setting your relationship up for success, or I guess we should say setting yourself up for success in a relationship. I am so excited about this topic. I've been looking forward to this discussion all week. So joining us today is our good friend, Joel Drosner. He's a resilience coach uh, with a master's in spiritual psychology. Uh, He's a former radio show host, keynote speaker. He's worked with a variety of clients and dealing with stress and performance anxiety. We needed that earlier, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact about Joel, he's in the business of inner peace, but he's a fighter at heart. Isn't that right, Joel? You were actually in several fight scenes in the 1980s movie Raging Bull with Robert De Niro. Oh, um, I should have specified, I'm in the stands watching the fight scenes. Oh, the stands. Atmosphere, atmosphere, right? (laughs) Atmosphere, but it was a good two-week gig back in the previous century when they were making that classic film. So welcome. Thanks for joining the Talking Couple podcast. Before we dive right in, let's break the ice a little bit more. What exactly does a resilient coach do? You skip the icebreaker. Oh. Yeah. We can't let Joel off the oh. hook and ask and not ask him the hardest question of the episode. Okay. What is the one thing that you hate but everybody else loves? Okay. I'm hearing in advance the uh, mind slamming and everybody else listening to this, but my candidate for that would be hip-hop music. Oh, now... Wow. Let me explain. Okay. I'm not talking about the music, as there are many tunes in that genre that I like. I don't like the term. I don't like that term, hip-hop music. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I'm of an old guy generation. But it reminds me of, like, the bunny hop that was a dance we used to do (laughs) to our embarrassment at um, kids' parties. And it also reminds me of um, the possibility of hitting an age where you break your hip. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now we can get to it. (laughs) So I guess uh, let me go back to my question of, so what exactly does a resilient coach do? I so appreciate you asking that question because most of the time when I say that, people will say something on the order of, oh yeah, resilience, uh, I could use more of that or that's a worthy target to have or I'm I'm sensing that I'm not so much that and and how can I increase my units of resilience? Mm -hmm. And that's when I get to tell them that actually what I do is I point you to the fact that you are made of unbreakable resilience and you always have been and it's only because of lifelong conditioning that has you looking in another direction that has you not see that. And it's that same conditioning that is the catalyst for the suffering in all relationships and any other type of suffering humans go through. 
That's so interesting because, you know, no one goes into a relationship thinking or hoping that it's going to fail. <laughs> so what do you think is the biggest indicator of success or failure in a relationship? I have oodles of experience in messing up relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? I have, a I have a long history of field research and, and I really perfected it over time. So I can speak from that level of expertise. And, and in, in my case, in every failed relationship, I've now realized a simple misunderstanding of how the whole shebang of life works. <laughs> you know, one, one of the things with a relationship is that it really sucks when people who have never, ever had the ability to make you happy, whole, or complete fall down in their responsibility to make you happy, whole, or complete. Mm. And the reason why that transpires in a relationship, whether we're talking about a romantic relationship or a family relationship or business or amongst friends, is that we don't know who we truly are. And we've been conditioned from early on that who we are is a puny, vulnerable self partitioned off from the whole of a world filled of other objects and other people and circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that our wholeness or completeness or fulfillment and, and true happiness depended on doing certain things right. Now, when it comes to relationships, we've just made a very specific uh, misperception that that takes the form of a certain other. Deshaun and I have touched on a little bit in, in our show about how we approached our relationship and kind of why we think we work. And I firmly believe that a lot of it has to do with really knowing who we are. Because we met a little bit later in life, we did a lot of work on ourselves and kind of trudging through that muck to kind of get to the other side and trying our best not to come into the relationship broken or right. anticipating or expecting that the other person would complete us. We kind of wanted to be together because we wanted to, not because we needed to. Sure. And if what you just said was um, the contents of a duck pond, that's the swan part gliding on the top of it. Now let's look at those yeah. paddling feet underneath it that support that duck actually um, gliding through the pond. I liked no. the graceful swan reference better. Yeah, <laughs> consistently. Chuck the duck, insert the swan. Okay. <laughs> I love everything you said, and, and it's so apparent in our few interactions that you have that type of relationship. It's, it's really beautiful to see. Oh, thank you. To support that, because a lot of people will hear that, and they'll think, oh, yeah, I've got to work on myself so that I could get into the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. What if rather than working on a self, we look at something deeper about what is the actual essence of ourself to begin with. When I work with people, I have them see this through their own actual thought experiment experience. And this true self that we are is not lacking for anything. And when we know ourselves as that, and we have a felt understanding of that true identity, it will make less and less sense to seek anything from a world out there, including someone we may want to share our lives with um, in a romantic relationship. Yeah. There's a phrase that many of us have heard through philosophies and religions and self-help things like know thyself. But I, I would put knowing thyself under an electron microscope. Who are you really? Most people live as if who they are resides in a physical body. And they think, oh, I'm in here. 
and I make all of my decisions in life, including the partners I pick, the jobs I pick, the possessions I acquire, the trips I go on, you name it, in terms of either enhancing this limited person inside of here or defending it against perceived threats from outside circumstances and people. So how does one know thyself? <laughs> if I'm working specifically with somebody, there's often a thought or experiment or so that I could run through with somebody. Actually, there's an unlimited amount of that. Right. To have them start to see something that in the back of their minds, they have a glimmer of. What I tell people right off the bat often is that there is unlimited inner peace behind any of your circumstances, no matter what they are. And if you're game, we could do it like a, a two-minute thought experiment, if, if that's... <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> the sure. Cool. Great. So, and this is something, it's, it's a modification of something I got from one of my great teachers, a guy named Rupert Spiro. To take a moment, settle into yourselves, close your eyes. I'm not there, so I can't go through your wallets or purses. In order for anything to arise or appear... It has to appear within something in the same way like the words of a page of a book have to appear on a page. So as I'm talking, I want you to allow whatever thought or series of thoughts that come up, just come up until you see that they are arising within a vast field. But rather than paying attention to the content of your current thought, I want you to turn from the thought and look at the actual space within which this thought is arising. Explore that space. Look around. See how far does it go in any direction. Can you find a limit to that space? Is there a drywall that this is the end of the space in which my thoughts appear? And if so, where does that border appear? What sort of space does that appear in? Or does the space seem to go on without border as far as the mind's eye can see? And what is the nature of the space itself? What are the feeling states of it, the qualities of it? Is the space within which your thought is arising, is it frenetic and intense, or is it calm and peaceful like a placid lake? Really allow yourself to feel that space, the space within which this thought that you have now has arisen. It's the space in which every thought you've ever had, which has come and gone other than the one you have currently, and then without rushing it, allow yourself to come gently back to the room. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. That was a really cool experiment. Cool. And so describe that space itself. What was it like for you? For me, I was like, it was open like the ocean. And I could just feel myself relaxed and easy. There was no barriers around. There was no walls or anything that would stop me from seeing anything. That's cool. Mine was, I couldn't identify any kind of anything to it. It was just dark, black, no in, beginning or end. It didn't feel like a vast emptiness or anything like that. Almost kind of the feeling of when you put the blankets over your head and you're yeah. enveloped under the blankets. So it didn't feel cold or sterile or scary because it was just completely dark. But it kind of had that feeling of security. Beautiful in, in both descriptions, because you're describing in, in your own words that are unique to you, a space that is devoid of any quality because every quality arises and dissolves within that space and nothing sticks to it. So what we might say actually is that who you truly are is the knowing space within which all of your experience arises and dissolves. 
who you are is not any of the temporary content that arises within that space. Although it can seem at times when the energy or the feelings around it are very vivid and intense, mm -hmm. that, that that's who we are and we're locked in that space and nothing's ever gonna change and we're losers and we're incomplete or we're angry or we're upset. But our evidence is that that has been changing from as far back as we can remember and will continue to do so. The only thing that never changes is our true self, which is the knowing presence that knows all of the contents of our experience. A couple of thoughts based on what you said that come to mind is I feel like it's easier to be in that knowing space when it's not filled with toxic thoughts. One of the things, part of the work that I did on myself in like my early 30s, I guess it was. So like last month. <laughs> I wish, I wish, but was really paying attention to the thoughts that were in my head and almost being shocked at the things that I was, the thoughts and the things I was telling myself day in, day out. So really stopping those and questioning them. Oh, are you really a failure? You know, like, oh, I'm so stupid. Like when you make a mistake, mm -hmm. you know, immediately go into that super negative place of, oh, you're just so stupid or something bad happens and you immediately go to that negative space of, everything always goes wrong to me. Why is my life so hard or what have you? And so really questioning those thoughts and stopping and saying, is that really the situation or have a little grace for yourself or what have you? And so being able to do that yeah. made it easier to kind of work through the stuff because then you weren't in just so much turmoil. So knowing ourselves as this one shared being, some religious people might say it's God's shared being, or scientists might say it's the one shared energy. In Buddhism, we might say it's the mystic principle itself that everything is a modulation of. But to know yourself as that now changes the nature of what we call relationships. Because we only know another person through what we can see and hear of them. We, we can reach out and touch them. And we have the thoughts that come and go about them. And the entirety of our experience with another person in a relationship is actually appearing within that knowing space within us. It's not a solid thing out there separate from us that we need to maneuver or manipulate in order for this separate puny being to be okay. Now merely the knowing of who we truly are absolves us of the need to have others be anything other than what they are because their appearance has no direct impetus into our own wholeness or completeness or feeling state. So why is that so hard to do? <laughs> <laughs> so it, well, if you trained yourself to play classical guitar and you worked at it for decades, it would, it would be hard not to play it well. We collectively have trained ourselves to be virtuosos in seeing illusory separation, especially when we first hear about it it sounds undauntingly difficult or challenging. It sounds like a nice idea, but I can't get there. Maybe if you meditate on a mountaintop, you can get there or something like that. What I find in my work with people is just a little bit of gentle pointing and explaining in the beginning and the dominoes start to fall. What I know is that you don't have a problem. You have a perspective that's just looking in the wrong direction from who you are. And when you know who you are, You'll be whole and complete and not need a outside technique or tool or procedure 
to make you even more better at the end of the procedure or tool. And I mean, that carries over into everything, yeah. right? Everything. Oh, does, like, you nailed it. You nailed <laughs> it. <laughs> it does, definitely. So um, how could the relationship work if there's two broken people? Could that, could that ever get fixed in a way that they can actually grow together or maybe if one person has this sort of enlightening viewpoint you know if someone worked towards that and on that but the other person didn't have that awareness yeah if you had come to me Deshaun, and you said i'm in this relationship and there's two broken people i would quickly disabuse you of that illusion to begin with there's no such thing as a broken person we've only just forgotten What's actually true that who we are is the knowing space that knows a body, knows our thoughts, knows our perceptions. Once that illusion is seen through, the words won't add up that, oh, I'm a broken person. There's just like, mm -hmm. oh, I see I'm forgetting this understanding of who I am from time to time. Okay, I'm going to have to like listen to this back about 10 more times <laughs> and try to glean something each time yeah. because I feel like there's so much here. Especially, you know, going to that space and really like, who am I? Like, we really just think about it and breaking it down to work more on the different aspects of me. Yeah, and I need to think about maybe I'm looking the wrong direction. That's, that seems a lot easier to like a more tangible way to think about it than trying to solve a whole lot of things. Maybe to have a springboard into looking to the quote unquote right direction. This is like a non-practice practice. You can gently <laughs> ask yourself the question, am I aware? Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Joel, thank you so much. Um, we always close the show with questions from our listeners. You can send those to us at feedback at, feedback at thetalkingcouple.com. <laughs> But for today's episode, I think you've already asked the question that I think we'll ask our listeners. Yeah. Are you aware? I think that's the best way to close the show. Thanks for joining us for the Talking Couple podcast. We have a favor to ask. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Talking Couple. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on social media. We are the Talking Couple on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram.